In the back, we have two of our children's ministry people, Katie Wright, who runs our children's ministry area. She's back there. She's going to take all of our grammar school kids. And my buddy Jim Potash is back there. He's going to take all of our 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. So kids, you can head to the back. Thank you, Dave. The fellow cowboy fan in mourning with me this morning. <laughs> I knew you could love it, didn't you? Um, if you were here last week, Forrest Shell was here. Forrest Shell is one, uh, he is one of, represents one of four families that God has called into Paraguay uh, to change that country, to bring Christ to Paraguay. And uh, my, my belief is that God is calling us to partner with Forrest in that area to make a change. Forrest is going to come back in the spring, and we're going to get together at strategy meeting. We're going to figure out how we can partner with him. But if you were here last week, it was part of our missions conference. So one time a year, we really try to highlight missionally what the Christian Missionary Alliance is doing and what's going on in our church. A lot of you were blown away by that one slide we put up, which showed all of the people from our church that have left these brown chairs and are now out serving God in crazy places around the world. Um, and there was young people up there and old people, and there was a lot of people up there. And uh, this week we got a video from Brian Davis. Uh, Brian w sat amongst us with his wife, Michelle. Um, they have a bunch of young kids, and they are out trying to reach souls for God, trying to make Jesus real to people in Africa. And I mean Africa, Africa, not South Africa like Jules is going to. I mean Africa, Africa. And uh, he sent a video this week that I thought was just so cool because it was just like him sending an update to friends, recorded it with his own little personal iPhone. So uh, as the ushers come this morning and, uh, and collect our offerings and our sacrifices, I want to show you one who's sacrificing his life to God and uh, let him give you a little update. So as they collect your, co your connection cards and your offerings, take a watch of Brian Davis. friends, I just wanted to say hi and tell you a quick story about what God is doing here in San Luis, Senegal. Last week I was driving towards uh, the bridge in town. I saw a man named Vieux that I hadn't seen since January. Vieux means uh, old man in French. Uh, Vieux seemed very happy to me as he waved for me to stop, so I stopped right there in the road to say hello. After all the customary greetings, he expressed his gratitude over and over again for a book I had given him last time I spoke with him. He's been reading the New Testament for several months now and says each time he reads it, is, his heart is touched. In fact, he said the book, in a way, is saying similar things that he's been taught in his religion, but it speaks so much more clearly and is touching him so much more deeply. Interestingly, uh, Vieux has also said he can only read small portions at a time because his head starts to hurt. If he reads too long, I don't know if... Uh, his headaches are because of the spiritual battle, or if it, uh, he was saying that he just needs time to think and absorb all that he's uh, reading, or maybe he just needs better reading glasses. Um, but this is not unusual. There are millions of people here just in northern Senegal who are not yet followers of Jesus, and most, most of them have never had the chance to even hear who Jesus is yet. But uh, when they do hear, 
but many are responsive. And daily, Michelle and I, the rest of our teammates here, and the Senegalese followers of Jesus of our church, we have uh, many opportunities to share the love and the truth and the power of Jesus with the people here. So I'd like to encourage you to, to pray for Pia and for others, uh, the many other Senegalese people here who are hearing about Jesus. May the Holy Spirit prepare their hearts and may our Father's kingdom come here in northern Senegal. Thanks for being a part of this for us. So I love that, right? Like I know Brian and Ephraim, like he's, you know, he's, he, he had asked, he said, would you pray that, you know, old men would see sight and, and dream dreams and see visions? And, and, and we've been doing that, a lot of us, on Friday morning for him and, and you know, for him to come that full to me. Um, however, if you were here last week, kind of the key to last week was this. Despite all the people we've sent out in that picture of all the people that are out there serving God as missionaries, the truth is that each and every one of us, if you're a follower of Christ, if you bear the name Christian, each and every one of us is called to be a missionary. They are inseparable. The scripture does not fathom, the New Testament does not fathom, Paul and Jesus and, and the writers of the epistles do not fathom people that would think they are followers of Christ, yet bear no burden for, for mission. So we talked about it last week, and I shared with you how my heart is really um, for this community and trying to figure out ways to get into this community. Like, what could we do? What could we do more that would make Christ real to people in Menda? That, that, that we might be able to explain to them in a different way, in a new way, so they'd understand that Jesus is really, really, he's not some ephemeral hope out somewhere, but that he's real and alive and he can change lives and he still does and he wants to. And... You know, in the summer, we started preparing for our sermon series. We, I, I was sitting in the library one day trying to figure out how do, I, how, do, how do we do Christmas again? I mean, we do Christmas every year, right? Christmas comes around with great regularity. And uh, if, you, if you've been, you know, grown up, I don't care what religion you are, if you've grown up in the United States, you know the Christmas story at one level or another. So I, I, I'm trying to figure out how do I present it in a way where people might get it in a different fashion, where it might get past their normal ways of seeing Christmas and into their hearts. And uh, I was just doing a lot of research, and I came across some interesting stuff on Charles Dickens and how Dickens in many ways had written the Christmas carol to parallel the gospel. So I started playing with that idea, like, you know, that's something familiar to our culture. That's something familiar to my friends. That might break some walls down. Maybe they'd be interested in being part of, of, of something that had to do with a familiar story and relating uh, the elements of the gospel to it. And so we sat around in my office trying to figure out how we were going to do this. And uh, Tim Berry said, if you were here last week, we told you, why don't you think, here's something crazy. Why don't we do a Christmas carol on Christmas Eve? And why don't you go out and ask Jim Brewer if he would be willing to be Scrooge? Now, if you, do know who, if you don't know who Jim is, uh, Jim was uh, on Saturday Night Live. He was Goat Boy in the 90s on Saturday Night Live. He's probably the most famous guy in Chester. Um, he's got, uh, I don't know, 150,000 likes on his Facebook page. He, he, he was named one of the top 100 stand-up comedians of all time. Some of you were just down at the Borgata in Atlantic City. He just sold that out. So Jim's a pretty famous guy and a pretty hip guy. And he was willing in the spring to come and be part of our marriage series and do some stand-up comedy here. And 
So I said, well, I'll ask him, but I don't think he's going to go for it. And uh, I went out. I said, Jim, would you be willing to do this? And Jim said, uh, yeah, I would, I would love to do that. Um, and so we're going to uh, use Christmas Eve because I know it changes people's lives. Christmas still changes lives. It doesn't just have to be some story you hear. So we're going to try to reach our town together um, with the story of the gospel, and we're going to leverage um, Jim's talent and fame, and I'm going to ask you to invite your friends to it. Here's a little teaser of what's coming up. Hi, everyone. This is Jim Brewer here. And I'd like you to join me on the 23rd and 24th of December at Mendham Hills Community Church. You know why? Because what are you doing? You're going, should we go here or should we go there? And your wife goes, I don't like spending time there. It's Christmas Eve. I want to spend time with people I'd like. And I want to hear a good story. Well, that's the place to go. We're doing a story about hope and selfishness and greed and the power of the story of Christmas. So why don't you come down? Maybe we'll change the world. And you know, at the end of the day, your wife will be happy. That's all that matters. So uh, we are really excited about this. Uh, we're really excited to put the tool, this tool, into your hands. This. Um, uh, we're we're doing. You know, we're leading up, going through the the, the a Christmas Carol to Christmas Eve, and then on Christmas Eve. Now, listen. I know, don't worry. We're still going to sing something. We're still going to have all the good stuff. But we're also going to go through the Christmas carol, and we're going to have Jim making it funny. And then I'm going to try my best to weave into it the poignancy of the gospel and how it relates. Um, Rena has been busy writing this for us uh, this week. It's going to be kind of an original presentation called Humbug on Christmas Eve. We are adding a service to this. Um, a lot of folks are giving up a lot of things to do this, to, to give you this tool. To make you a missionary to your friend and to your neighbor and to your family. So we're adding a service on the 23rd at 730 to 930. So it's a 50% increase in seats available. And I need you to fill them. Um, I, I need you to, to put on your missionary hat and to go get people and bring them to hear the gospel on Christmas Eve. Because Christmas still changes the world. Now, how are you going to get tickets? After church today, sometime in the next 24 hours, depending on how cyberspace works, you are going to get an email. And the email will give you instructions on how to get tickets for either the 23rd or the 24th. Now, listen to me. I know how people work. I know what you're thinking. I don't know if I'm going to be able to go. I'm not sure if I'll be able to bring anybody. So here's what I'll do. Just in case, I'm going to reserve 79 tickets. And this becomes a problem, right? So what I want you to do is I want you to reserve. The tickets are free. I want you to reserve the amount of tickets that you're actually going to use for this event so that we make sure we can get all of the people that everybody's going to bring to this in the room. If you take tickets and you don't need them, call the office and we'll put them back into the hopper. But all that is going to happen sometime in the next 24 hours. So I am very excited about this. I think God is, uh, is just doing a really cool thing here in our town and giving us this, this resource to reach our community. So it's on us now. It's on us. So... I just encourage you. Next week, we're going to hand you out uh, nice, glossy cards. We gave you some when you came in this morning. We'll have even glossier ones for you next week. Put them in the bagel stores. Hang them on bulletin boards. Invite people at work. Get the tickets. We can still change the world. Christ in you still matters at Christmas. Now, on with the story, right? I was looking into this stuff about tickets. 
And I started coming across um, what he had written regarding a Christmas carol. Because in fact, if you look at a Christmas carol, in fact, the truth is, it's in, very, in many ways, it's a story of the gospel, if you think about it, right? It's a story of a lost man found. It's the story of a life changed and redeemed. It's the story of an old man becoming born again with new eyes and new ears and a new heart. In fact, check this out. I love this. This is a, a quote from Dickens on the day before he died. They say something about last words mean something, right? Dickens, day before he dies. I've always striven in my writings to express veneration for the life and lessons of our Savior. And this from the preface of his work. Um, he wrote a, a giant book called Christmas Books, and in it is the Christmas Carol. The preface to the Christmas Carol was this. My purpose was, in a whimsical kind of mask, which the good humor of the season justified, to awaken some loving and forbearing thoughts never out of season in a Christian land. It was pretty cool, right? I never saw this when the Muppets do, do their version. And so we're going to try to join Dickens on this journey, in this mass, to try to awaken some loving and forbearing thoughts and to use this timeless classic as a way of seeing the gospel, letting the story pierce our hearts in a new way, in a fresh way, this Advent season. What I do want to do is, Lenny, would you hand me that book? I want to show you a resource that we're making available to you. This is a book we found. It's called A Christmas Carol Special Edition. It's $5. We're selling it at exactly what we're paying for it. I would love for you to get a copy of this book. It is very, very cool. What you will see inside it is the, the traditional Christmas Carol story, but all of the margins are filled with Dickens' notes and other notes that relate how these stories relate to the gospel. It's, it'll blow your mind how cool this is and what Dickens was thinking. And at the end of every stave, because he wrote this like a song, A Christmas Carol, he doesn't have chapters, he has staves, a musical term. At the end of every stave, there's a section of questions. You could do yourself, you could do with your kids, you could read this at night with your kids, you could do it with your small group. So this is a very cool resource. I'd encourage you to pick one up, give them as gifts. We're, again, we're not, this is just for you. Um, the only problem is we sold out of them in about 30 seconds in the first service today. So we will have a whole boatload of a more of them for you next week. Um, if you want to go to the uh, Welcome Center on your way out, they'll take your name and we'll get you at the head of the list. There'll be one waiting for you there next week. But pick this up um, sometime. Uh, either we'll get your name on the list today and pick it up next week. So how many of you know this story? How many of you know a Christmas carol? Raise your hand if you know it. If, you're not, if you don't raise your hand, it's because you think you're too cool to raise your hand. Because everybody knows this somehow. This character, Ebenezer Scrooge, has become, you know, he's kind of like Madonna and Rihanna. You only need, anybody know what Rihanna's last name is? Right? It just, it's become kind of ubiquitous in a sense, like Ebenezer Scrooge. Especially at this time of year, you call somebody Ebenezer or Scrooge, everybody knows what you mean. You're calling them cheap or angry or dour or cantankerous. A person with, with no joy or no happiness and no respect for the season. In fact, you read as you kind of get this book and you see Dickens picks all of his words so carefully. Scrooge actually meant to squeeze. And it speaks to what Dickens believes Scrooge's main sin was, his greed. He squeezed every ounce out of everything that he could get. No one wants to be a Scrooge. I've been accused of it. No one wants to be a Scrooge at Christmas. And yet, and yet, at one level or another, 
Though good-willed and good-natured, all of us at one level or another, why with a little bit of Ebenezer? I mean, if, if you've had enough of the holidays displays in the stores and the commercials on the TV, you might be a Scrooge. If you walk by the guy with the clanging bell and the red kettle pot and just rolled your eyes, you might have something in common with Ebenezer. But that's okay because the truth is actually have all of us actually have a much more in common with him than you think. See, he was born with Scrooge as his last name, but it didn't mean anything at the time. It only took on meaning later because it, the truth was that wasn't characteristic of his heart at first. Something happened to him along the way, something in his past. Something happened in yours. Something in his present reality and something in his future, what he was destined to. They had conspired to turn the, what he was created to be into what he had become. And so that is the journey for us this Christmas. To look at those biblical principles, those stories of Christmas, we're going to look at the four ghosts of Christmas. Not just Scrooge's ghosts, but ours. Our pasts and our presents and our futures, the things that have made us who we are, and the things that we can be set free from. Understand that Christmas is ultimately the celebration of the birth of the only one who can actually set you free. The truth is, we all could use some visitations in our lives and the new life that comes from. So today, we're going to look at Ghost One, maybe the least famous of the ghosts, Jacob Marley. Now, many of you know the story. It begins with Ebenezer Scrooge sitting in his office, right? And he encounters his nephew who arrives at his firm on Christmas Eve to wish him a Merry Christmas. And Scrooge dismisses him with the famous Bah Humbug line. Brewer, because of his uh, fame as Goat Boy, is actually doing a Bah Humbug line a lot. Scrooge's nephew defends Christmas this way to his uncle, though. He says, you know, there are many things from which I might have derived good. By which I haven't profited, I dare say, Christmas among the rest. But I'm sure I've always thought of Christmas time when it's come around, apart from the veneration due its sacred name and origin, if anything belonging to it could be separated from that, as a good time, a kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time, the only time I know of in the long calendar year, listen to this, Christian, when men and women seen by one consent to open their shut-up hearts freely and to think the people below them as if they were really fellow passengers to the grave and not another race of creatures bound on other journeys. And therefore, Uncle, though it's never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that it's done me good, and it will do me good, and I say God bless it. And so, if you've seen the, if you've seen the movies, you know his nephew leaves and two men arrive and Collecting money for the poor, and Scrooge, it almost reminds me of what's said about politicians, Scrooge dismisses them as well, saying that he doesn't need to give to the poor because there are already plenty of prisons and workhouses to take care of their needs, so he dismisses them summarily. He goes home, and later that evening, he's visited by the ghost of his business partner, Jacob Marley. Marley's ghostly form is covered in chains that he drags along with him. And attached to Marley's chains are, quote, catch this, cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers, deeds and heavy purses wrought in steel, representing the things Marley placed value to when he lived and now burdens upon his spirit. And so, 
it's movie time for a few minutes this morning. From the 1984 version of A Christmas Carol, A Christmas Carol, here is the ghost of Jacob Marley. Those of you who are followers of Jesus in the room, I want you to listen and see if anything in here sounds familiar, like you've heard it somewhere else before. me who I was. <laughs> You're particular for a ghost. Who are you then? In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Can you sit down? I can. You do it then. would you have of my reality beyond that of your own senses? I don't know. Why do you doubt your senses? Because a little thing affects them, a slight disorder of the stomach. You might be a bit of bad beef, a blot of mustard, a fragment of an underdone potato. <laughs> More of gravy than of grave about you, whatever you are. Humbug, I tell you, humbug. <laughs> Why do you trouble me? Man of the worldly mind, do you believe in me or not? I do, I must. But why do spirits walk the earth? Why do you come to me? It is required of every man that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men and travel far and wide. And if that spirit goes not forth in life, it is condemned to do so after death. It is doomed to wander through the world and witness what it cannot share, but might have shared, and turn to happiness. <laughs> Chained. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. Is its pattern strange to you? Or would you know the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself? It was as full, as heavy, and as long as this seven Christmas Eves ago. You have labored on it since. It is a ponderous chain. 
seen a chain? Nine were invisible until the day of my death. As yours shall be. Tell me more. Speak. Comfort to me. I have none to give. My spirit never walked beyond our counting house. In life, my spirit never roved beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing hole. No doubt of that. You always were a good man of business. Business? Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. Sorry for you, Jacob. Is there anything I can do? For me? Nay. It is too late. But I have come for your sake, Ebenezer. Have you? Well, you always were a good friend. As part of my penance, I have been... Now, I've already ruined this shirt in the first service. At it, you guys are saying, boy, that's one ugly shirt. It's because it's stained with grease. Might I also say these are extremely heavy. I am willing to sacrifice already two blown discs for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Dickens opens his book with, with stirring words. One book he wrote, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And in the Christmas carol, he opened it with this. Marley was dead to begin with. There's no doubt whatsoever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge had signed it. Old Marley was dead as a doornail. In fact, if you read the, the book, you'll see that Scrooge actually says, or excuse me, um, Dickens actually says four times in the first four paragraphs, Marley was dead over and over because he wants for his readers to understand the, the incredible miracle of his reappearance. And Scrooge, Marley comes, he actually asks some two questions, some pretty profound questions. The first was this, why do you trouble? And Marley's response was this. It's required of every man that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow man and travel far and wide. Think Forrest Shell. Think Brian Davis. Think Tim Meyer. Think Drew Capone. Think Dave Bolas. And if that spirit doesn't do so in life, it's condemned to do so after death and witness what it could have shared on earth and turn to happiness. Now, the theology isn't totally right here. I get that. Don't email me. But you see, in a sense, the first piece of the gospel in the story, right? Go into all of the world and preach the good news. So Scrooge asks him a second question. He, he says, you're fettered. <laughs> you're fettered. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life, replied the ghost. I made it. I made it. Link by link, yard by yard. I girded it out of my own free will, and of my own free will, I will. In fact, in fact 
he tells Scrooge that he himself is wearing the chain and working on it right now, that he wore the same chain seven years ago, but his is much longer because it's been seven years since Marley had passed. And here comes the great line from the first ghost. Marley tells Scrooge, as Scrooge looks around trying to see if he could find the chains, Marley says, no sense of regret can make amends for one's life's opportunities missed. Yet such was I, so, oh, such, such was I. And here comes the line. Scrooge protests, but you're a good man of business, Marley. Business, Marley cries. Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence, they were all my business. Why did I walk through the crowd of beings with my eyes turned down and never raise them? This is in the book. It wasn't in the movie, but listen to this from Dickens. Why did I walk through the crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down and never raise them to that blessed star which led the wise men to a poor abode? Were there no poor homes to which its light would have conducted me? Business. Mankind was my business. This Christmas, whose business are you about? What's your business? If you were to look at your life, let's have an honest, like, going into Christmas, going through the season of Advent. If you have an honest look at your life, your calendar, your checkbook, how you spend your time, where you pour out your talents, where you give your first energy to, your first fruits of your resources, What's your business? Because Marley's eyes were turned down. He could not see. Where are your eyes set? What's your business? Because there's no better time than to reflect on Christmas as we kind of wrap up another year. What's your business? Don't, please, please, don't be, you need to be honest with yourself as I try to be in my, with myself. Don't give me the spiritual answer. My business is about glorifying God and enjoying him forever. I know that theology. I'm asking you, where do you spend your time, where do you spend your money, and where do you spend your energy? Where have you set your eyes? Is it for the common welfare, or for charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence, or is it about the acquisition, as I reflected in my own life, on personal glory through the piling up of successes, business successes, financial successes, romantic successes, sexual successes, Facebook likes? Is it about your kids' sports? Is that where you've set your eyes? Is it about your next home or what your retirement looks like? I set my eyes on that one a lot. Where have you set your eyes? Because that great question of ghost number one, what's your business? Or maybe the right question is, what chain are you working on? Link by link. Yard by yard, what chain are you fastening upon yourself? What are you wrapping yourself in? This, this Christmas, I have a friend that came to church the last time. I've asked him to come to church for 25 years. He's probably going to hear this online. So, John, hello. Um, he came to church last week, and uh, he, he came up to me, and he said, uh, I said, what are you doing here? He said, I wanted to come check. I lost my job. And my friend, John, is very, very successful. Very successful. And so we went out to, uh, to lunch this evening. They said, hey, man, why don't you go do something good? Like, you know, you don't really need to make this much money anymore. You could go do something good. He started 
he started telling me all the, all the reasons he couldn't do it. You know, I got a, I got a lease on my car. You know, my son wants to go to law school. And, you know, my wife, you know, they, she's got some stuff that she wants to spend. And I said, told him all the stuff we know about meaning and happiness and all the stuff we studied last month. And he said, I know all that. And I said, well, why, why would you give the last 10 or 15 years of your life to go back and do this again. Why would you? You've been given a gift. Almost no one in the in the history of the world has been given. You don't have to do this. He said, "I know, but I, I can't walk away from it." Inch by inch, yard by yard. Now you might say, "Look, you're making a little too much of a Christmas book. It's nice. We're Christians. I want to study the Bible." In the Bible specifically, the, in the middle parts of the book of Luke, Jesus, in a sense like Dickens, starts telling some stories because stories are, are what pierce our hearts. And he starts weaving together some parables. He starts using some imagery to get people to see and understand something. In Luke 15, for example, in fact, he quickly tells three parables, three very famous parables. One about a lost sheep, the other one about a lost coin, another one about a lost son. Jesus said, suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and you lost one. Don't you leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until you find it? And when you find it, you put it on your shoulders and you go home. And then you call your friends and your neighbors together and you say, rejoice with me, I found my sheep. Listen to what he says, Brendan. He says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, changes his mind, changes his ways, changes his business than over 99 religious people who don't need to repent. Next story, lost coin. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents, who changes his way, who changes his mind, who changes his direction. And then the lost son, we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. Jesus is telling, in the middle of this book, stories to people about people who changed their business. In fact, he just keeps, he's on such a roll. I love this about Jesus. Once he gets going, you can't shut the guy up. And he starts rolling into more stories. Stories about business, actually. He talks about a shrewd manager in his business. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted uh, Whoever can be trusted with very little but can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little can be dishonest with much. If you've been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, you'll be trusted with true riches. If you haven't been trustworthy with someone else's property, who's going to give you property of your own? And this is what Jesus says. See, nobody can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Men and hills, Christmas time. Let me ask you a question. Be honest with yourself. What is your business? What are you about? Well, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. So he said to them, you know, you're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your heart. Because what people value highly, what they've made their business, is the testimony of. And he ends this, this litany of stories with one that's going to sound very familiar. In Luke chapter 15, there was once a rich man. Scrooge and Dickens story. 
expensively dressed in the latest fashions, wasting his days in conspicuous consumption. And a poor man named Lazarus, I love this. You understand the person that winds up far from God, winds up separated eternally from God, has no name in the story? There are no names in hell. And then there's Lazarus. Lazarus was covered with sores. He'd been dumped on his doorstep. And all Lazarus lived for was to get a meal from the scraps of which the rich man's table. His best friends were the dogs who came and licked his sores. And then he died, this poor man. And he was taken by the angels to the lap of Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell and in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham in the distance and Lazarus in his lap. And he called out, Father, Abraham, mercy, have mercy. Send Lazarus to dip his finger in the water to cool my tongue. I'm in agony in this fire. Fascinating that in hell, Lazarus still believes he's better than the poor man. Send that poor man down here to to do what, what I need. But Abraham said, child, remember in your lifetime, you got good things. Lazarus, the bad. See, it's not like that here. Here he's consoled and you are tormented. Besides, in all these matters, there is a huge chasm set before us so that no one can go from us to you, even if he wanted to. Nor can anyone cross over from you to us. So the rich man said, well, then let me ask you, Father, send him to the house of my father where I have five brothers so he can tell them the score and the warning so they won't end up in this place of torment. This sounds familiar. He's asking for a Marley, for someone to come back from the dead in chains, warn his brother, tell him about how I lived, about the traps, about the chains they're putting on themselves. Choose another way. And Abraham answered, he said, look, they have Moses and they have the prophets to tell them the score. Let them listen to them. I know, Father Abraham, he said, but they're not listening. If someone came back from the dead, they would change their ways. Abraham replied, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets... They're not going to be convinced by someone who rises from the dead. In biblical irony, it's interesting, later Jesus would go on to raise a dead man from the grave. You know what his name was? Lazarus. And they did not listen to him. But it's as if Dickens decided to enter the story and see what would happen if indeed the warnings, if the ghost would come back to life. You see, Scrooge's issue isn't the wealth. People of men of New Jersey, understand, the issue is not that you're successful, that I'm successful, that we've done well. If you look at it, Marley never warned Scrooge. The issue is that you're a success. The rich man that Jesus speaks of here, his sin was not his success. His sin was related to where his eyes were set. His sin was related to his business. His sin had to do with his heart. Jesus says, a poor man named Lazarus, covered in sores. This word sores here in the the scripture, it comes from the Greek word that we use that we get ulcer from. He's literally oozy. He's likely a severely handicapped person because we're told he's dumped on the doorstep of the rich man. Why would somebody dump him there? Maybe they thought it would be impossible. Listen to this. Maybe they thought it would be impossible for a rich man every day to walk by somebody in this condition and not care. In fact, Jesus goes on. The only thing that was keeping Lazarus alive was the hope of getting some crumbs from the rich man's table. I read this week. I never had heard this before. So often the scriptures talk about um, crumbs. That's because folks in Jesus' paper towel. 
their hands in oil, they would dip their hands in water, and they would take to dry and wipe their hand, and would throw the crumbs onto the table. Essentially, Lazarus is being related to one of the dogs. So let me ask you a question. How is it possible for someone with so much wealth, with so much power, with so much influence, how is it possible for someone who, if he engaged, if he made it his business, could change the temporal and perhaps eternal destiny of one or two or ten or thousands? How is it possible then that they could, he could, screw the rich man could, day by day, week after week, year after year, Christmas after Christmas, how could he walk by and not care? How could he? And the answer was the same for Scrooge as it was for the rich man. His eyes were on his business. You see, you read the story of Bob Cratchit. There's a lot of Ebenezer Scrooges. You know how much money is going to get spent in December? In the United States of America, in December, on Christmas? One month. $450 billion. I was at the mall at 6 a.m. on uh, Friday morning. I saw some of it. I mean, at any given time in the world this morning, half of all hospital beds are filled with people that are suffering due to waterborne illnesses. 2.2 million people die every day due to lack of access to just clean drinking water. That's equivalent to 20 jumbo jets crashing every day. According to number crunches at the World Bank, it's estimated the cost to cure the global world water crisis is $20 billion. That's less than 5% of what's spent in this country during one holiday shopping period in December. How is it possible that we can walk by day after day, week after week, Christmas after Christmas, and not care? Many of you know several years ago we participated in something called Advent Conspiracy, and we asked everyone to give up one gift, and in its place, take that money and help help us put it towards building water wells around the world. And if you were here, you know we raised enough to build two water wells in Africa. And this Christmas, young children will again drink fresh water, clean water from a well given in the name of the one who called himself living water. But if you're like me, can I be honest, if you're like me, that is a great Christmas story. But come January 2nd, do you know what I turn my eyes to? My business. And my business is all too often about me and my stuff and my kids' stuff. You know, when you read the stories about the, the Pharisees in the Bible, you know how we read it and often assume that they're the bad guys and we don't have much in common with them. We tend to assume if, if we were in the story, we'd be one of Jesus' disciples. And you know how we read the Christmas carol and we read the story and we go, if I was in this story, I would be Bob Cratchit. But the truth is, in so many ways, our eyes have been lowered and set upon our business and not our neighbor. This is not the story of Christmas. The story of Lazarus is the story of Christmas. It's the story of a first becoming last and the last becoming first. See, the story of Christmas, there's a poor man and a rich man. The poor man becomes rich. The rich man becomes poor. There's a 
man on the inside and a poor man on the outside. And there's, he becomes a poor man or a rich man on the outside and a poor man on the inside. There's a rich man with food and a poor man with none. And then there's a rich man at a feast and a poor man without even a drop of water. There's a rich man who needs, has no needs and a poor man with great needs. And then there's a poor man with no needs and a rich man with great needs. There's a poor man who, because he, has, he desires nothing in this world, he has everything. Or he has nothing, he desires something. And a rich man who has everything because he has, desires nothing. And the gospel, the story of Christmas, completely reverses it so that the poor man winds up with everything and desires nothing. And a rich man who and now desires everything. There's a rich man that is surrounded by dignitaries and a poor man surrounded by dogs and there's a poor man surrounded by the highest of saints and a rich man surrounded by the worst of dogs. I could go on and on, but it's the story of Christmas. It's the story of the Son of God, the highest of the high, the pinnacle of all creation, the one who created all things, deciding to be created. It's the story of the King of Kings choosing instead to be an infant born in a dung-stained manger. It's the story of the one who owns all things, choosing instead to be poor in this life so that the poor in this life might inherit the kingdom in the next life. The Christmas story is the one, the story of the one who owns all things, coming and owning nothing. It's the story of the one who could be the judge being judged. That's the story of Christmas. But unfortunately, perhaps in the irony of all ironies, our present-day story is so often those of us who follow this one and bear his name, the one who gave away everything in order to love his neighbor, will ignore our neighbors in order to acquire more in some kind of misguided celebration of his birth. You know, the scripture talks about chasms. There's this chasm between the two. And we know that heaven and hell, Jesus bridges that chasm. But in your own life, that creates the chasm that doesn't allow you to trust your neighbor? What's the chasm? Why do we care? Could it be bridged? Ghost One, this Christmas, what's your business? Upon what have you set your eyes? Xbox One, iPhone 6? Do you care? Don't walk by again at Christmas. Don't walk by again. The story of Marley, the story that Jesus tells, asks you to care about something more, the common welfare, the charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence. You can unwind the chain this Christmas that you're building, I'm building, chain by chain, link by link. Be with a friend. I'll just share a couple stories at the end. You know, a few years ago, when a, a bunch of friends and I decided because, you know, we didn't have to do too much here on Christmas Eve, we, we were going to try to go out and find the shepherds of the day. And so we went out and we were like, well, who are the shepherds? Who would God tell the story to? Let's not just tell it to us again. Let, let's go find people like this. So we went and we hung out in the, um, the soup kitchen lines in Morristown. We kept inviting everybody all the time. Would you come to this event on Christmas Eve for you? We said, we're going to have you, we're going to have a dinner for you prepared. And we went and we, didn't, we invited people. We didn't know what was going to happen that night. We, we, we kind of gave our Christmas Eve stool. I remember that. I'll never forget that first night to the day I, I go to my grave. We pulled up on a cold December 24th at 6 o'clock at night, and there was a line of homeless people down the street waiting to get in. 
And the next year we went back and we said we can do this even bigger. We can tell the story again to the shepherds of the day. And we decided we were going to have a four-course meal. And there was hundreds of people there. And we ran out of food. I wasn't back there when it happened, but it's one of the great stories I've ever been witness to. We ran out of food, and just as we ran out of food, the back doors opened, and in walked this restaurant, this guy that owned a restaurant, and he had all of these bags of food, and he said, our restaurant is closed, and we heard what you guys were doing down here, and we brought you all this food. You see, God is still work at work in this. He's still redeeming people. We tend to say, God, get me the Xbox One at the front of the line, and God is going, I'm, trying, I'm asking you to come and join me in my work over here. After that, we moved on. We did parties at the Market Street Mission every Christmas Eve. My kids every Christmas say, can we go back and do these parties at Christmas Eve? You know, the mission still needs people to give parties. There's still hungry people in Dover waiting for a party. There's nursing homes, there's associations for, for, for children, there's prisons. You could enter the story this Christmas. You don't have to walk by it. The story of Marley and Jesus call you to be about something more, about the common welfare. Do it with a friend, do it with a group. If you're a small group leader, take your group. Bring your group. Connie has great ideas for how you can do this. This Christmas, knowing the need of your neighbor, Menham Hills, stop identifying with Bob Cratchit in the story and start believing that perhaps you've been given a chance to hear from a ghost. That maybe you can enter the story of Christmas, that you could still turn the world upside down. This Christmas, Menham Hills, this Christmas, ask yourself honestly as you drive home, what is my difference? Lord, thank you for, for how story, in, uh, story communicates truth. Lord, as we desire to reach this town, both the rich and the poor, the haves and the have-nots this Christmas, would you open our mind and our eyes to who we are in these stories, who we are in the biblical accounts? Would you show us, God, as a people, that 5% of what we're doing to celebrate your birth could cure the issues with water in the world? And while each of us can't do that individually, together we can do something corporately. God, would you put upon us this Christmas the concept that Christ in us is what the world is still waiting for in this season of Advent, in this season of Christmas. Would you open the eyes of our hearts? In the great name of Jesus, we pray.